0: Everyone and welcome inside our home offices. This is the NEC Overtime Podcast. I'm Craig D'Amico, and today I'm joined by the Commissioner of the Northeast Conference, Norian Morris. Noreen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Craig. Really looking forward to talking with you today. Uh, a lot to catch up on here. The last time I saw you in person, we were in Pittsburgh at the NEC Men's Basketball Championship game. We were on the court. And, you know, things were just happening. The Ivy League had just canceled their conference tournament and there were rumblings, you know, all over the country. And I remember you had a a message to the staff that, you know, at the moment with all the information that you had, we were going to continue forward. And then obviously over the 48 hours, a lot changed uh, after that. So, you know, from the last time I saw you in Pittsburgh to the uh, the cancellation of the rest of the women's basketball tournament in March Madness. Uh, take us through some of that and, and what you know those 48 hours were like.
1: Yeah, it, it's so surreal. And I think back, um, it, it was only six months ago, but it seems a lot longer. But then again, it seems like yesterday. Um, you know, at, at the end of our men's championship game, um, in fact, during that game, we saw some announcements around um, the state of um, Ohio, the governor making some some uh, directives around no fans in attendance and the back was going to go no fans and, um, and Ivy League had just said they weren't going to to compete. Um, so there was, there was a lot happening during our game uh, and so after that you know I, I pulled the uh, staff aside and said listen we, we're gonna we gotta figure out how to move forward with women's basketball Um, We may have to pivot on how we do uh, fan attendance, uh, but I'm going to work on that. So the next day, um, Ralph didn't know it, but he was my chauffeur for the day, and we drove six hours from Pittsburgh back to Newark, uh, and I was on the phone the entire time uh, with the presidents of the schools that we were competing um, for women's basketball in the semifinals coming up with commissioners of other leagues, with NSA staff members, just really trying to get a sense of what was happening um, and, and how best to proceed. And we went from um, limiting fan attendance to realizing that we needed to limit a lot more to maybe no fan attendance to the next day actually canceling um, our basketball, the rest of the basketball tournament. And that was um, pretty much a direct result of eventually of the NCA coming out and saying they were going to cancel. Um, the men's women's basketball tournaments as well as the spring championships at that point we thought gosh spring championships how can they make that decision so soon Um, but as we know at that point they had more information uh, from a medical standpoint, than we had had access to, and as, as we went through the next couple of weeks, it became abundantly clear that that was the right decision to to cancel spring championships in March, um, given uh, the information that we had about just beginning to understand about how how COVID was spread, and um, you know how close contact and, and sport events could could be an issue. So it was. Um, I've never, I've never experienced anything like it in my career in terms of the, the amount of decisions that were made in a short amount of time that impacted so many people, um, in an environment that just no one really had all the information and it just even today, we you know six months later we get new information every day every hour so it's it's been a, a six months of rapid change but slow going right it's constantly changing. Um, planning for the unknown, uh, and trying to pivot every time you get a new piece of information. It's uh, It's been probably the most challenging um, part of my career, um, not only from the just lack of information on a daily basis and um, lack of control <laughs> over the outcome in many cases, um, and then doing it remotely. You know, I right. haven't, having back to the office with the staff. I mean, I go in every once in a while, I gotta go sign checks and and manage some things that way. But, um, you know, we're mostly working remote Um, and I have to give props to my staff. They have been tremendous. We are, we're doing a great job continuing to sell the brand of the NEC and to celebrate our student athletes. We're in our 40th anniversary. So we're doing a lot of content. Um, connecting with former student athletes and celebrating our history um, and doing a ton of work around diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, not only are we managing the anxiety around COVID, but obviously what's happening in our country, um, around diversity um, and racial uh, tensions and injustice. So we've been doing a lot of work there. And obviously the day after the election, um, you know, the anxiety around, what's happening with the presidency. And we've done a, a, a great campaign on trying to um, encourage our student athletes to go out and vote. And each of our institutions has done a tremendous job there as well. So um, I know I've strayed a little bit from your question, but I de- definitely wanted to, to say that I'm so proud of my staff for all they've been doing to support our membership through this very difficult time.
0: Absolutely. You know, there haven't been sports, but things are still pretty busy. <laughs> don't, don't, hopefully no one gets uh, that, that wrong. Um, you know, I want to go back to the summer, you know, seeing how things were, were moving over the course of the summer, different parts of the country were trending, you know, in different direction with the pandemic. Um, wh- where were you on, on fall sports and how did it evolve to the point where uh, they made the decision to postpone the, the fall season? Yeah, you know,
1: throughout the summer, we were working with our presidents and our athletic administrators, um, just trying to manage how they were returning to campus. Were all their students coming back? Were they doing remote? Were doing a combination? Um, And and a lot of it really um, revolved around what's happening in each of those regions and those states, right? So what are your state regulations um, around COVID? Are you even able to have um, athletics um, resume. And each state had different rules and they were entering different phases at different times. So throughout the summer it was just trying to manage um, where we're in a seven state footprint here um, in the NEC. And so we've got seven different state rules managed, which then govern how the institutions operate, which obviously then govern what we can do from an athletic standpoint. So you know really we spent the summer trying to figure out when can we bring the student athletes back and how right? And what protocols do you have to put in place in order for them to come back? Everything from how do you set up an athletic training room to provide social distancing? Um, every How do you provide water in practice? You can't do, you know, you can't do anything like you used to do. You have to look at it and say, from a COVID perspective, how do we do this from a social distance standpoint? How do we do this so that we don't have student athletes drinking at the same cups, um, you know, athletic. Tr- trainers, sports information. I mean, everything has to be viewed from a different lens. So we spent the summer, we have our athletic administrators, are meeting twice a week um, by Zoom. We had, I created a medical advisory committee made up of athletic trainers, doctors, and strength and conditioning um, to to look at every aspect of athletics from a health and safety standpoint. And what changes do we need to make um, both at the conference level and the institutional level to, to bring back athletics in a healthy and safe way. And in the end, unfortunately, um, based on the rising number of cases, um, the, the inability for our student athletes to go from phase one, two, or three based on their state um, laws, it was just, it, it, it was not um, conducive to athletics. And, and, and the biggest thing, which I haven't even mentioned yet is the whole uh, issue around testing. Right. And so the NCAA has come out and said, we we need to have um, a testing protocol that um, allows institutions and the student athletes to feel safe um, competing. And that information is continuing to change, um, even since you know, the NCAA originally said once a week um, and three times a week. And now there's some flexibility in some models. Um but the issue was how do you get access to the tests? Uh, and at this point in time, you know the PCR testing is is available, but the turnaround time for those tests run anywhere from 24 hours to five days. And so if're you're, if you're expected to test three times a week and you're not getting the test results back for three days, you can't possibly do testing three times a week. Now the antigen testings have come out, um, test opportunities, but And those you can do day of but the availability of those um, especially at the start of the year was very difficult because the federal government came out and bought and then the states um, bought all of the test kits coming off of Abbott uh, and some of the other Quesnel and Quest and so institutions couldn't get access access at that point to enough testing so that was a big piece of the decision around what can we do with fall sports? So it's not only what's happening in the regions, the state travel bans, the uptick in cases, uh, but the the inability to get access to the testing in, a, in an affordable way. So lot, lots of moving parts.
0: So, so with all that in mind, is there a way, you know, once things get figured out here to maybe uh, play those fall sports in the spring coming up?
1: That's what we're modeling right now Uh, and we've been working on this diligently um, for the last couple of months and we, in addition to the groups I've mentioned already, presidents, athletic administrators, medical advisory committee, we also have the sports management committee, which is made up of two, um, two members from each institution and they work on all sports but basketball and football. So that group has been modeling how do we bring fall sports to the spring Um, And so what we're looking at is, um, since spring sports lost their seasons last spring, when we canceled in March, we're trying to create a model where they are the least disrupted. So we'll attempt to keep them on the same days of competition that they had in the past. And we'll potentially look to put the fall sports maybe in the middle of the week so as to spread out. The days of competition on each campus and not to overwhelm any one particular facility or set of staff. So we're working on some of those models um, and looking at, I think most schools will look at conference only games for the fall and spring uh, and try to limit the number of competitions. Um, and then that would also allow the students to come back with the general student population when they come back uh, for the spring term. So there's, again, there's a lot of different variables that we're looking at. Um, Our goal is to try to provide those fall student athletes with a competitive experience, but it always comes with the caveat of, but what's happening at that point in time when we do come back? You know, as you see right now, there's an uptick in cases pretty much across the country. Um, Travel bans are getting expanded to, from one state to the next. You see Massachusetts just... um, change their guidelines where you have to wear a mask in public Um, and so those things we'll have to look at once we get closer to competition and with all the work that we're doing and we've if we come up with a model that everyone can agree upon that model may not be able to be put into place based on the current environment in any one of the seven states that we're that we uh, our footprint is in so again we We have been planning for the unknown, we're building the models and in the end, we really don't have control um, over that final decision and whether or not we play or not. That will be really decided by um, by what's happening with COVID cases and hospitalizations and access to testing and affordability of testing.
0: I wanted to ask too, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit because the the spring sports teams, they didn't have a spring season last year would there be any more extra consideration or, or emphasis on them this year so that they don't miss two seasons? And, and it sounds like from what you were saying, there is going to be a little bit there.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that, that as we recognize that those student athletes have already lost a season. Um, and so all things considered, we want to make sure they they get us an opportunity. Um, and with the fall sports, you know, they've been, Working hard over the fall um, season in, in a very unusual, non-traditional way, and uh, if we can give them some competitive experience as well, you know, we we all want to provide that opportunity, and and we'll do our very best to to make that happen. But there's, uh, like I said, a lot of uh, variables that need to be taken into account at each institution, including you know where they are with their return of students, can they, can they bring full um, instruction back, whether it's hybrid or remote, where are they with their state guidelines on indoor gatherings, and will that impact the ability to play basketball games, if you can't sure. have more than 25 people, like, can you play a basketball game, you know, so all of that will, will factor in, um, and we'll, again, we're, we're setting up a model that we hope each institution can um, evaluate and determine if it's one they can implement. And then, um, then it's really up to how, how this country responds to this, this uh, virus.
0: A lot plans change. Things obviously evolve every. day. I'm sure over the last couple of months you've had plans and you've had to rip them up and go back to the drawing board and, and all that things change. Um, let, let's look ahead to basketball season. Cause a lot of people are really excited about the start of basketball coming up in November. Um, what are some of the biggest, biggest challenges that the schools and the conference still face uh, in this ever-changing environment as, as we uh, start resuming competition in basketball?
1: Yeah, I think what we've seen recently um, is as, as many plans as you can make and as many protocols as you can put in place, um, the positive cases, um, one positive case, uh, in, for instance, in basketball, one positive case if the whole team is practicing together, puts the whole team into quarantine for 14 days, <clears throat> unless contact tracing can, can prove that you were not in close contact. Um, as a teammate to that person, which if you're in, a full, con- if you're in full practice, that's, that's gonna be difficult to, to prove that you weren't in, in close contact. So right now what we're seeing is um, across the board, some, well, I think in most of our schools, you know, they've, they've had a couple of positive cases uh, and it, it's for basketball. We've um, seen a, a number of students in quarantine and so they just haven't had their typical gear up uh, in, in the fall to, to get ready for a season. So I think that's that's been some of the biggest challenge for basketball is I'm not sure how many of our teams right now are actually on the court with their full team Um, because you get from phase one to phase two there might be an issue where there was a a party some of the students went to the party there may have been a positive test and so all those kids have to go in quarantine Um, and so that's what that's that has really interrupted the ability to, to practice and prepare for games like you would normally want to. Now the NSA has already responded and pushed back the start date for basketball. So it's usually September, excuse me, November 10th. And we've pushed back to November 25th. Uh, understanding that um, there is going to be a longer ramp to ramp up to your typical practice opportunities. And also, Many, most schools in the, in the country and all of the schools in the NEC come November 25th, the students are going home for Thanksgiving and not returning to campus. And so nobody's returning from a student perspective to campus until the spring season or spring semester starts. So, with that said, they, the basketball community felt best to say, let's not have games until November 25th at which time when you do bring an outside team onto your campus, you're not, um, the, the exposure risk has been diminished greatly for the rest of the student body and the faculty because they just won't be on campus. Uh, so that, that's why you saw the delay. Um, one is to allow more time to get ramped up for practice, but mostly to have games in a scenario where campuses are relatively empty and you are not exposing other students and other faculty to potential risk.
0: You you talked a little bit earlier about uh, the protocol of a student athlete test positive, you know, quarantine 14 days and and the contact tracing and everyone else on the team. How would that impact the basketball schedule? Like if this is in the middle of a basketball season, would there be time to make up those games afterward? How, How would a positive test affect that team and other teams in terms of the schedule?
1: Yeah, so the schedule of what we're working on in many schools in or many conferences in the country are doing the same is how do you create a schedule that limits travel, limits overnight stays and limits exposure of teams um, and the number of teams um, if there was a positive. Um, So our typical schedule is you play Thursday for men, Thursday, Saturday, we are going to a mirror schedule this year. So the women will also play Thursday, Saturday. So wherever the men are, the women are playing at um, home or the men are away playing the same opponent. Um, and normally you'd go Thursday, uh, play at one team and then you go and you travel and then you play at the second team. Uh, in this case, this year, we're looking to do what we're calling the back-to-back schedule. And so we're managing it so that you play the same team twice in a two day time frame at one location. So you are, one is you're reducing the number of overnight stays in hotel um, or none. If you, if some teams will go back and forth each day. Uh, we would um, reduce the amount of exposure. So if there is a positive test that comes out of that game then only two teams are impacted instead of four teams if you allow those teams to travel to another site to play another team. So the the, there's a lot of uh, reasons to go to back to back, but it's health and safety, it's also financial, and it's also trying to minimize the travel. So that, that's what we're looking to do from a scheduling standpoint. Now, of course, the presidents uh, of the, our league still need to approve that schedule, so we're still working through the details. Um, but the, the makeup is what you, you asked about as well. And we know, it would be naive to think that we're gonna get through the whole season without, a positive without some teams having to quarantine. And so um, we have created two, we're looking at creating two weeks where we'd have makeup dates available in the beginning of the week and we would push um, our regular scheduled format one day um, later for that week to allow time in between the makeup games. So that we have two weeks where we have scheduled makeup days where we we, we would push the, the games after by one day. Um, but we also recognize that not everybody will be able to manage makeups in those dates given how many teams might be needing to make up games at that sure. time. And the team you might need to have a makeup game is also making up a game of <laughs> somebody else. Uh, and so we know we'll need flexibility that in any given week we might need to use the beginning of the week as a makeup opportunity and then maybe push games um, from the scheduled days to a day later. Um, and so everybody need, Everybody knows as we've been telling our student athletes, our coaches, administrators is that this year you need to be flexible, open to change and eliminate from your, your verbiage the words and phrases, that's not how we usually do it because there's nothing that we're doing that's how we would usually do it. Um, and in and, and, and that note, I'd also say that we've told our coaches, is there's no such thing as competitive equity this year, <laughs> and, uh, fairness or, um, you know, a specific um, set format is they just we're going to have to pivot and they're just going to have to figure out how to manage in this new normal.
0: In, in this new normal, how have you gone about communicating a lot of these decisions and the reasoning behind these decisions to the student athletes?
1: Yeah, we've, um, I mentioned earlier, athletic administrators have been meeting mostly twice weekly um, and, and going through all of these different iterations of schedules and protocols and Uh, And and we know that they have also then been very um, hands on, well, maybe not hands on the computer, (laughs) (laughs) as as much as they can at this
0: time. yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, with their with their coaches and their student athletes. So we have really relied on our institutions to keep close contact with their student athletes and keep them updated on the, you know, anything that that's happening on their campus, how it impacts the student athletes. Um, from a, a conference perspective, um, we have uh, had our monthly uh, NEC student athlete advisory committee calls. So I get on there and, and give updates about what's happening in the NEC. And then we work through some of the um, initiatives that we typically manage um, on any given year from a can food drive, um, which was last week, uh, last two weeks, which was really successful, even virtually. Um, and so I've managed, you know, I've met with our leadership, with our student athletes across campus. We've also communicated um, by um, press releases, once our presidents make some decisions around when they made the final decision around fall sports. Um, And with letters to our student athletes, letting them know know we are planning, we understand how important it is for them to get back to their sport that they love. And that we are just trying to manage all of the moving parts, put together models that will enable them to get back on the field of play or court or pool track. Um, so it's, it, you know, we don't wanna under communicate, but we also know that um, we, we need to rely on the institutions because they are the direct um, link to our student athletes. So we, we've been giving some big picture updates, but really relying on the institutions to keep the student athletes informed on a more consistent basis.
0: So this year, when we tune into, let's say, a basketball game on NEC front row, what are some of the things that we were visually going to notice that are different in the terms of safety? I mean, you watch an NBA game or any sports now, obviously, there's a lot of distancing and things that you could visually see. Uh, What are some of the things that we'll notice tuning into an NEC front row basketball game?
1: Yeah. Well, what you won't notice likely is a lot of fans, right? Because that's that's something that um, at least through January, I think we only have one school that's going to allow a limited number of fans um, in the stands. And that's mostly around local regulations. Um, you will notice that the benches will look different. Um, the, the seats will be spread, you know, six feet apart. They may, the benches might go down the end line and across the baseline, you know, like an l shape where um, you'll notice that the officials uh, table might be on the other side of the, uh, of the court and not next to the benches. So as we can separate the teams and the coaches from the, the folks who are working the game. The officials, um, I don't think they'll be masked during the game but they'll be masked coming onto the court. Um, they'll be masked when they're talking to student athletes and coaches. Um, the student athletes, when they come off the court will need to wear masks, the coaches will need to be masked. Um, each student will have their own towel, their own water bottle. They're going to have to manage their own, you know, someone else won't be filling up their water bottles. Everything will be done. Um, You know, I I say, you know, we're going back to the seventh grade now. (laughs) We bring bring everything you're going to wear. You come dressed. uh, You bring your own water bottle. um, And then after the game, you leave. You don't shower at, at that location. You go back to your hotel and shower, you go back to your school. Um, really trying to limit the touches of, uh, of student athletes in different venues. Um, locker rooms probably not will not be available because they're not big enough to have everybody in and socially distancing. So we just have to find new places to congregate for locker rooms. Uh, so just, again, adaptability and flexibility and understanding that every decision we're making is based on health and safety. So yeah, it'll, it'll look very different.
0: You, you mentioned the fans part of it, and I'm sure fans who are watching and listening to this are wondering, when can I go see my team again? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, what are some of the discussions regarding fans at events? Um, you know, will it be, you know, a league wide decision or will it be campus by campus based on the state that they're in?
1: Yeah, we've talked about that quite a bit. And I think it'll be a, a campus by campus decision based on uh, guidance they're getting from their local and state um, uh, health Um, organizations. Um, We didn't think a a conference-wide protocol or policy on that was smart um, and allow, you know, if there's some schools that can provide some form of uh, environment um, like a game used to be then and they can do it in a healthy, safe way, then I think that's, you know, a positive outcome for the student-athletes, again, as long as it's done in the right way.
0: And going forward, you know, it's exciting. We're here at the start of the basketball season. But, you know, the thing is obviously being able to finish the basketball season and getting to March Madness, which you weren't able to do a year ago. And obviously, it's impossible to predict who knows, you know, what the future weeks and months is going to be like. But uh, what, what are you hearing from the NCAA and their medical experts in regards to their confidence in going forward and being able to get to a March Madness this year?
1: Yeah, they are... Um, 100% committed to ensuring that the the men's and the women's basketball tournaments happen. Um, Will they look like they used to? Maybe not. Uh, Will, you know, depending on, how many teams actually finish the number of games they need. 13 is a magic number to you have to have 13 games against division one opponents right now to be eligible for the NSA tournament, which is down from the typical number of 25, I think. Um, and so, you know, really well, what it looks like will be remain to see based on how the regular season goes. Uh, you know, they're, they're looking at all sorts of models from creating a bubble, um, for the championship to creating, um, you know, rather than single sites through the, through the tournament is creating um, more sites uh, or less sites where more teams might go, um, you know, they're just looking at every possibility, but from a financial perspective, I mean, the NCAA men's basketball tournament is critical um, to the financial Stability of not only the NCAA but all of the conferences as well. Um, you know, with the cancellation of the men's basketball tournament last year, um, the NCAA instead of their one billion dollars of revenue coming in that they expected, they got three hundred million. All of that money typically um, funds the NCAA operations divisions one, two, and three championships. So we're not just talking division one, we're talking divisions two and three, as well as revenue distribution back to the institutions and conferences. So to give you a perspective from that $700 million reduction in revenue, um, it really hit everybody um, all the way down to the institution. So our conference budget um, was slashed by a million dollars based on um, the lack of distribution from the NCAA tournament. And so when you're talking to about a little over $3 million budget and you lose a million dollars, that's, that's quite a hit. So we had to this summer, make some decisions around our budget and, and our institutions have to continually make decisions around their budgets, not only based on the lack of revenue from the NCAA, but with less students living on campus, maybe less students enrolling there might be less revenue coming in from an institutional standpoint which obviously will impact every part of the campus including athletics so um, that's when i say the nsa is 100% committed to playing the nsa tournament in whatever form or fashion it takes that's what we're going to need to do and the you know the terminology of fair and competitive equity again we'll need to understand that needs to go out the window as well when it comes down to figuring out what that might look like,
0: and, and a couple of other items, want to hit on before we we leave, uh, the uh, NEC Indoor Track and Field Championships were recently canceled. Uh, take us into that. Why why was that decision made? How was that decision come about?
1: Yeah, um, it, it's a similar conversation we've had, but a, a lot of variables that we had to evaluate and consider. Um, One is the championship is set for the, was set for early February, uh, 9th, 10th, I think that might not be the right dates. Um, But in New York, in New York city and Staten Island um, in a wonderful location called Ocean Breeze, they've been a fantastic host for us for a number of years. Um, But when you look at the operation um, of the championship, uh, you have to look at can you run it in a way where everyone is socially distanced um, and the, the warm up area in that facility is, is really congested. And so there's just we didn't think from a operation of the event itself that we would be able to do it safely. Plus, right uh, in New York um, is seeing a lot of um, state travel bans and we weren't even sure if this teams could travel into New York to participate, um, you also have to look at when the students would need to return to campus in order to be ready for championship caliber competition. And typically they are running events now and they have been training and they they gear up for a championship event in, in February and to ask them to come back in you know, late January, early February and be at championship caliber um, uh, abilities, that's just, you know, that's not possible. And so we were worried about injuries. And so if you get injured in indoor track, then you, that in, uh, impacts your ability to participate in outdoor track. Um, so again, there was just a lot of different things we, we had to take into account. And so in the end, we felt because indoor track student athletes, a large percentage of them also compete in outdoor track, they were they would still have opportunities to compete. And with the fall and spring model, we're hoping to have a cross country championship in early March. So those long distance student athletes who would typically run it indoor could also um, run an outdoor events, hopefully um, for, for cross country. And so in that case, um, you know, we knew that those student athletes still had opportunities. Um, and so, and we felt for decision-making and, and, and knowing that you don't have to be training all the way through the, the winter holidays. Um, and so, but, but it really did come down to the ability to, to run that event in a healthy, safe way. We're having the same conversations now around swimming and diving. Well, sw- the act of swimming is not a high risk sport. The congestion on the um, deck Sure. Um, And the fact that you have timers and officials all at the start um, and we also are scheduled to be in New York and right now the the, uh, Nassau County um, in the Aquatic Center there. um, They are only allowing athletes from uh, Long Island to to come into that space right now. So we are actually looking for another facility potentially to have uh, outside New York that might we might have a better chance of having a championship, but we also need a facility that we can spread the teams out, maybe in the stands instead of them being on the deck and only those who actually need to be on the deck are on the deck. And will the NCAA give us an exception to only have one timer instead of two timers um, at the start to, to lessen the number of people that are at the start. So again, a lot of moving parts and those decisions will be made as we get more information.
0: And one thing I wanted to bring up, you know, during this whole time with the pandemic, NEC student-athletes and coaches have also been very active uh, fighting to combat social injustice. Um, tell us how the NEC got involved with some of their initiatives and, and how this has been received.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of this conference and what we've been doing around the issue of diversity, equity, inclusion, and how we've um kind of pivoted and, and put a lot of focus on the social justice and, and the voting campaigns. Um, over a year ago, so June of, uh, June of 19, I think it was, we adopted a new NEC strategic plan and it has four overall goals. And one of those goals, which is a new goal to our strategic plan was a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we have been talking about, the need to increase our education, to commit to initiatives on campus um, as well as conference-wide around the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We we had our first um, diversity, equity, and inclusion summit in December of 19, uh, where we brought up to 10 individuals from each campus to come to an all-day event where we had outside speakers Talking about a number of issues and topics related to diversity and inclusion. Um, so we, you know, we had already put a, a strong focus on that area. And then, of course, with what's happening in the country around social justice and then George Floyd and, and the other um, people of color um, who have been impacted um, by. Uh, police brutality and or you know, just social injustice. Um, you know, we just felt it was time for us to create some initiatives to focus on that, to allow our student athletes, specific those students of color to tell their stories. Uh, so we created um, one campaign called um, Champions for Change. And we've had student athletes and coaches, uh, administrators across the NEC talk about their experience of being a person of color. And one within athletics and telling their story. So those have been really powerful. Um, and so that will continue uh, with that initiative throughout the year. Um, we have also put a lot of effort into our voting campaign. And, and I, um, we've done that from a camp, uh, conference perspective and the, many of our student athletes have been very active on their campuses and trying to get all their, their teammates registered to vote doing voter education and what's why is it important to vote not just in the national election, but your local elections and that you actually have more of an impact on what happens locally with with the um, whether it's judges or mayors or aldermen or whatever it might be um, that you have um, a lot of um, input. Um, and contributions with your voice and your vote. So those are some of the things that we've been working on and I'm really proud of of our student athletes and our institutions for their commitment to um, getting the word out about voting, about fighting social injustice. Um, We've had some really um, impressive uh, institutionally driven initiatives. Uh, Merrimack uh, had one last week with a moment of solidarity Um, in which some of the other student athletes uh, across our campuses um, partook at the same time. Uh, And so there's a sense of community uh, within the NEC around these issues. So uh, I think that's been a fabulous outcome uh, of a really difficult time.
0: You've mentioned that this year it's going to be a year of being flexible, a year of adapting. Uh, Final question for you, Noreen, if you could send one message to the student athletes out there that might be watching and listening, the coaches who might be watching and listening, uh, what would that message be?
1: I would say keep a positive attitude, be supportive of your teammates, and take care of yourself, both physically and mentally. This is a really difficult time, a lot of challenges that you probably never anticipated, And just make sure you're taking care of yourself and your mental health and, and just know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we're doing our best to help you get there. So keep your heads up, be positive, but uh, be ready for change.
0: Noreen, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it.
1: Great. Thanks for having me and appreciate all you do to support
0: the NEC. She's the commissioner of the Northeast Conference, Noreen Morris, and this has been the NEC Overtime Podcast.